G'day guys, welcome back to a very special episode. I guess we'll call this a, a bit of a collaboration episode between Tapping the Crypto and the Ben and Berg's podcast. Two of the greats. Uh, two of the greats, yeah, two of the biggest out there. By my side, I've got the great man Pav Hundal and uh, sitting, you know, comfortably over in Melbourne is uh, the great Ben Simpson. Ben, how you doing, mate? Thanks, guys. I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I've lost my right arm today. Berg's is crook, so... Just going to be me coming in from the pods. It's just the Ben show today, unfortunately. But uh, great to be you guys, and uh, what a way to round out the year. We'll sort out another episode soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, redemption. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So we'll post this this episode on both our channels. For anyone that doesn't know, Tavany Crypto, we're um, a SwiftX-sponsored podcast. Pav and I are both SwiftX employees, and we'd like to touch on you know market news, insights. You know, We'd like to throw a bit of banter, have a bit of fun. Pretty similar to what you guys do over there at Ben & Berg's. Yeah, no, we love the relationship we've had with you guys for a long time now. So for the Benenbergs fans that are unfamiliar, SwiftX is one of the biggest exchanges here in Australia. Uh, we provide some research to some of their users over on the SwiftX analysis and learn platform. And we really love the partnership that we've had. And definitely go check those guys out if you're looking for a new exchange or looking to switch. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a big year, boys. Lots of things happened. So keen to dive into uh, the year that was. Yeah, it's huge where, year. Where do we even start? Huge year. So yeah, we'll try and wrap up 2023 in crypto as a whole, starting off with some of the bigger headlines. Pav, what do you think was the biggest headline of this year? To kind of name drop a couple, obviously we had the Ripple win versus SEC, a yep. ba- pretty much a majority win there. That was big. Um, XRP declared not a security by the courts over in the US. So saw a huge jump in the price of XRP. I think it was a pretty bullish catalyst for the time. And yeah, kind of was a big blow to the SEC and and Gary Gensler. So I think for anyone, you know, native to the crypto market and enthusiastic about crypto, that was a mm. pretty big win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I guess a big one for me was the whole Binance saga. I mean, that's been sort of tricking along for, for many years now. But I mean, I don't know. If you put a, a bow on it now, CZ's sort of left. Mm. Uh, they've been handed down a, a pretty massive fine. Department of Justice have done their thing in the US. I don't know. For me, I guess that was a pretty big standout. Yeah. And, and that was pretty recent, I guess. But it's been carrying out for the last couple of months. From a collective shift standpoint, what was the biggest engagement in terms of a news piece on your platform? Yeah, it was, it's interesting. I think the trend of the year was more of like a cleanup year, getting rid yeah. of you know all the bad boys of crypto, and I'm sure we'll touch on it. But like you said, have the FTX stuff coming to somewhat of a conclusion with SBF being found guilty in court. The terror founder, Do Kwan, that was arrested and, and extradited. Alex Mashinsky, now arrested from Celsius. The 3AC founder, Zhu Su, was arrested. And then obviously the Binance and CZ settlement. So like it was just a year of cleaning up all the all the crap really from yep. the past sort of 24 months, cleaning out the industry, which I think was needed. Um, and heading into 2024, probably really good timing just to leave that all in the past so we can sort of move forward as an industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we needed that cleanup. But despite all that, you know, I think Bitcoin's up 150% since the beginning of the year. So really looking nicely uh, heading into 2024. So yeah, I mean, and we've had some bullish stories as well. Like, it's not just been those cleanup stories. PayPal launched their own stablecoin. Obviously, yep. huge big. Web2 company jumping into the industry. What else? We had Coinbase. They launched their own Layer 2. I think yep. that was the first of its kind, like a uh, you know a centralized exchange, one of the bigger ones, you know, launching a Layer 2. We've seen Binance launch the um, Binance Smart Chain yep. and stuff like that, but Layer 2s were a bit of a hot trend this year. And they launched Base, which had a fairly big opening month, opening two months, and a lot of, you know, meme tokens and a lot of action there. I think it's kind of died down since, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes in 2024. Mm. I think a big one for me too, in the same vein of Coinbase and getting out the bad actors, a lot of talk around the whole regulation piece, finally squaring away, hopefully at least something landing for every consumer out there in 2024, at least somewhere. The UK seems to still be ahead. Australia's not doing too bad, but we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Uh, but that's been a pretty big standout too. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think 2023 will be looked at historically as probably one of the best times to have accumulated Bitcoin and some of your top assets. You know, with the tightening of the Fed over the last like, you know, couple of years, you know, Bitcoin really had that big retracements and so did the market. And things are pretty boring there for yeah, you know, a year stable. or two. You know, and as much as we can push the research and push the narrative that, hey, this is a great time to buy, the reality is most people aren't interested in a bear market. And I think we'll look back, you know, running from 16,000, mm. you know, about 12 months ago, we hit 16,000 around early December 2022. And, and now up to sort of in the 40,000s at the time of recording, like what a time to accumulate Bitcoin. And I think 2024 is just now going to build upon that as people get back. And, and even the Fed recently where, where they've sort of come out and said, you know, that we might be the end of the tightening and it might be starting to potentially loosen up, which is just a massive catalyst for, for growth. Yeah. I mean, everyone always talks about like, oh, you know, the, the Bitcoin millionaires and the crypto millionaires and like, oh, I should have got back in when they did. I think last two years has been, you know, we're going to see a few millionaires pop up next year and they're going to say how to happen and it's like right, I'll, keep, I'll, keep you, I'll keep you grounded ted <laughs> well mate my biggest bet for 2024 is that pavar owns three yachts by the end of the, end of the year so um, i'm have my advice with dicks. i just hope that he invites me on board <laughs> we kind of wanted to have a bit of fun with this episode and, yeah. and kind of look back at 2023 and name some of our favorite projects and we're going to call this the mvp for 2023 Ben, did you want to kick us off with what was your biggest project for the year? I had Arbitrum as one. I think just the layer two, layer three space has just been massive this year. Obviously, they had a great airdrop. You know, the TVL, I think we're at 2.3 billion TVL um, and just really tapping into the scaling of, of Ethereum. In Q1, it's going through another big upgrade, the Dan can can upgrade on Dan can I can't even pronounce it, but um, you know they're, they're they're going through a big upgrade in Q1, and this is going to make the layer twos you know ecosystem you know even greater. So I think Arbitrum and you know a couple of other layer twos have been um, you know phenomenal this year. Yeah, nice. I guess me, I think Chainlink's been a standout. I mean, fundamentally and technically, um, I'm definitely more on the technical sort of ship, but mm. massive accumulation range, which was probably one of the first ones to break and blow up out of the altcoins at the start of the 2023 run. But I mean, fundamentally, it's making partners left, right and center. Yeah. Like we've talked about partnerships that seem more for show, but this is actually seems like purposeful partnerships for real world asset tokenization, working with the likes of BlackRock and you know, even on in our shores, NAB and A and Z to yeah. launch those sort of stable coins. So what they dubbed their cross-chain interoperability upgrade, that seems to be something that everyone's biting at mm. at, a, at an institutional and technical level above our pay grades. But yeah. I think that's been a standout because the one thing we've always talked about, crypto is great, great idea. How do we actually use this bad boy? So I feel like they're making the biggest gains from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Arbitrum, obviously the layer two narrative has been huge this year. Arbitrum mm. had their airdrop and token-wise, it hasn't done huge gains, but I think, yeah, they're well, just building. off with a bang. Yeah, started off as a bang, yeah. kind of plateaued since then. But yeah. yeah, I think in terms of the, the project and the network itself, doing massive things over there, Arbitrum being the biggest layer two by... Total value Big, locked yeah. and things like that. Pav chain link, interesting one. I don't. I think you're dead wrong there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, both good choices. I think it's tough to go past Solana this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of an obvious one, but obviously after everything that went down with FTX and Solana got pretty ruined in that, people thought it was never going to come back, mm. and to come, you know, from the ashes to where it is today to be like top five, top six token. I think it's done 10x since the start of the year. Like. If you're looking at top 50, top 100, it's got to be the best performing in terms of ROI. In terms of like the tech, it's had zero outages, something that we 
was a pretty major flaw of Solana. Everyone was looking at Solana before everything went down. It was like the kind of golden child, but that was the one caveat that was like its outages, its downtime was the major issue. No downtime this year, despite you know growth in ecosystem and, and things like that. So massive move forward there for Solana. Um, we spoke about it on our on our podcast this week. There's the overtaking Ethereum in DEX volumes and NFT trading volumes. Yep. So like temporarily, but still a milestone. And, That's and- a pretty big thing from a community perspective that's where the people are absolutely yeah. and, and i think people yeah. saw like ethereum is like untouchable from yeah. a, from a layer one's point of view so the fact that it's done that you know albeit temporarily it's it's still pretty huge news and then lastly like the partnerships right partnerships is, is one of those things that can be from a retail perspective quantified quite easily yeah. where they see value in it because they see brands that they know and they trust and they're partnering with these crypto brands like the likes of Solana and Chainlink and things like that. And they see that and be like, okay, they if they trust them, I can trust them too. So in terms of partnerships, we saw Visa facilitating stablecoin settlements on Visa. They're partnering with Solana for that. Shopify, Stripe, Meta, Google, you know, major, major names, major Web2 brands there. So yeah, I mean, that's my pick for the year. Yeah, I think you nailed, uh, nailed that, Ted. I think Solana has been a, a great one. We, we we sort of put out a little bit of research early in the year around how you know a lot of the um, the on chain movements versus the price hadn't really accounted for that deep of a correction. I mean, Solana really got hit, and I think it just got bundled in with the FTX sort of narrative. It was, it was sort of known there for a little while as like the FTX coin, so everyone was just getting getting the hell out. <laughs> And obviously, it had a lot of the problems with its you know, uptime on the platform. But then when it went through the Fire Dancer upgrade, and then, yeah, as you said, Ted, all the partnerships and things that have sort of come back, Solana's definitely had the layer one narrative now for the last you know few months. I think that will change next year when Ethereum sort of comes back in the limelight with the upgrades, but that still doesn't take away from Solana's growth. And I think Solana's definitely much here to stay. And even like the recent airdrops and new things that are happening on Solana, you know, with the new phone they're launching, you know, there was the yep. G2 airdrop recently, which just went gangbusters. Like it, it's got a lot of, you know, retail interest back and, and excited about the, the platforms. They're, they've done a great job turning that around this year. Mm, couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think the fact like each one of those tokens, are Arbitrum, Solana, Chainlink, like the fact that they've had really strong 2022s and 23s or 23 in this perspective means, you know, it's positive signs moving forward into the next good, cycle. Good momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Cool, guys. Um, so the next kind of segment we want to touch on is the rookie project or up and comer of the year. Pav, did you want to get us started off here? Yeah, I don't have a good thing about this one, but I really like Say. SEI. Yep. So I think this is my forecast for what's coming. Like we saw the theme being layer twos in 2023. I think in 2024 to be parallel settlements, so these parallel blockchains. So long story short, allowing transactions to settle in multiple instances through a single transaction. So that's how we're going to bridge something like, you know, we talk about Ethereum, we talk about Solana. Well, what if there was something that actually brought the two together? So I think that'll be a big play. And that's why I'm sort of looking at Say probably. And it's been a top performer in the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Massive, massive uh, investment from some pretty big VCs like Circle, Coinbase is in there, Jump Crypto, GSR, Delphi Digital. So for me, I like that too. And yeah, I just, I think it's a good way of taking the current momentum that's sort of propagating through the layer one space at the moment and showing about how that tech can be made better. Uh, And that's kind of what I like to see. And I think it's early days too for that narrative as well. So that's something I'm kind of looking at as a bit of a rookie. Yeah, nice to have, yeah, that backing. That's got got some big names behind it. When you're looking at Circle, Coinbase, Jump Crypto, like, you know, your eyes sort of light up when you see something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) back from those places, especially, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. So mine's a, a project that 
just full disclosure, I own. Uh, it's called Maple, Maple Finance. The, the tick is MPL. It's a decentralized like DeFi marketplace for institutions to get access to capital. Um, so actually originally based out of Sydney, the founder, Sid, is based out of Sydney. I went live back on Ethereum in May 2021 and initially was really focusing on under-collateralized on-chain lending. Then we came into the DeFi winter and everything basically died in um, the DeFi space. And they sort of pivoted and went towards over-collateralized lending and real-world assets, starting with US treasuries. So I think the real world assets trend and narrative is going to be a really big one over the next couple of years. And now Maple that's lasted through the DeFi bear market, a lot of its competitors uh, are no longer there. They've got a really you know great TVL, I think, across chain. I'm not sure where it's up to at the moment, but you know they're on uh, Ethereum, they're on Solana and Base as well. So yeah, what I like about these guys is they're not completely decentralized. They have a centralization mechanism where they're actually looking and cross-checking their lenders as well, which kind of kept them out of the waters in, in the bear market. So they're not only servicing a Web3 demographic, but a Web2 demographic as well. So yeah, being a long-term holder of this one, it's done really well this year, up about 300% since July when we shared we invested into it. And yeah, I think it's going to be a, a good market leader for the years to come. Nice. Yeah, awesome. I actually had a brief chat with Sid, the founder of Maple, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the project at all by any means. Do they have any major competitors in the space? Because it kind of sounds like it's it's a new project idea, that sort of thing. Yeah, right now, not not that many at all, but Coinbase's new institutional lending arm, I think is going to be the biggest sort of competitor to come into the market. It's not exactly a like for like, but I think Coinbase Credit are going to try and capture that lending and borrowing activity mm. and giving their credibility. I think they're going to, you know, probably have a, a pretty good decent chance of grabbing some market share. But, you know, Maple, the where it is at the moment in terms of having a sort of three, four year head start, I think it's got some firepower about it. Nice. Is there anything that Coinbase isn't doing at the moment? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. They're getting into like remittance and everything, right? They got fingers in pies. They do. <laughs> Lots of pies. I think the way to put it. Cool. I'll, I'll quickly touch on mine. Mine, Celestia, uh, ticker is TIA. I actually came across this originally going through Collective Shift's research content. So this is before the token actually launched and the mainnet went live and that you guys were covering off on, on some of the, like the unreleased projects that you, you keep an eye on. So that's kind of first where I came about it. And then, yeah, since then, like the mainnet went live. The token went live, listed on all major exchanges, and it's, gone, it's just done huge things. And then there's been this big focus on its modular sort of architecture, which uh, splits up the core functions of a blockchain, as opposed to like Solana, which is, I think, monolithic, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, which kind of does everything itself. So I guess you could say it outsources different functions of the blockchain for more efficiency, scalability, you know, all the above buzzwords. But yeah, like Tier, I think it's done 500% since the airdrop. So people who got in early did incredible. Mm -hmm. It's now sitting in the top 40 and yeah, really strong team and uh, strong ecosystem as well. So despite that only launching in September, I'm going to call it my token of the year and uh, full transparency, I do not own any tier yet. <laughs> hey, so the, the fact you read that and then um, didn't take action, you sound like me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a team are putting out and I have missed so many opportunities this year. It's it's just sickening and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to that into a second, but yeah, no, that was another cracker. We're very bullish on Celestia. I don't own it either, but yeah, going to have a good future ahead as well. Yeah, for sure. Cool, guys. So this part I wanted to touch on, you know, game changes for the year. Things that really changed the narrative of crypto and the industry as a whole throughout the year, whether it be leading into 2024 or happening at the start of the year. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to know what do you think was the biggest, played the most pivotal role in kind of changing the way that I guess the whole world look at crypto and, and how we move forward from here. Ben, let's, yeah. let's start with you, mate. 
Happy to go. I think like, you know, whether or not you call me boring, I just think Bitcoin this year really came to the limelight when, you know, we started to get the increased uh, interest rates, inflation was going up and institutions, you know, I mean, MicroStrategy sort of leads the way and this hasn't been a new narrative, but just continues to just showcase the market and the rest of the world, like, you know, how people should be thinking about Bitcoin and that is just buying relentlessly no matter the price. Um, and I think at the moment, you know, people are starting to really feel the pinch, whether it be through, you know, the rising interest rates and then mortgage payments going up, rents going up. People going, oh shit, like what's going on in the world right now? My wage is staying stagnant, but everything else is going up. Like people are really feeling that an inflation rise. I think that's starting to get people thinking about alternatives to just cash and actually investing and looking at the different options. And, you know, even even the last few weeks, I, I saw somewhere that like in the US, they've changed the way they calculate inflation like they've literally changed the equation to make it basically look better it's just it's unfathomable when you think about it it's like oh this is looking bad guys let's just change the rules so no one like it's you know what i mean it's just it's the whole thing in my opinion is just a complete joke that sort of trickles down to to cash and fiat and i I just think heading into the halving next year for those people that truly understand supply and and demand economics and, and look at what can you actually buy that's going to help you against that inflationary nature. And, and if the US starts to print money again next year, like, oh my goodness, like, you know, that is just going to flow into risk on assets like like Bitcoin. So, yeah. you know, whether or not that's been a narrative change, I don't think it's necessarily been a narrative change. I guess it's just, it, it's been something that has just been a real driver, I think, of Bitcoin rallying to 160, 170% this year. Um, and that's why I'm yeah, super bullish on that next year. Yeah, no, good shout. I'll keep mine short. Like, I think for me, uh, a little bit uncharacteristic for me, but yeah, I think the SEC Ripple one, only because I think Ben summed it up nicely, like 2023 was the year of airing out the dirty laundry. And I feel like that's been a bit of a spectre over the space for a couple of years now. So I think just that being put to bed just helps create some precedent, which means that there is less gray. There probably is still a lot of gray until there's actual complete rules and legislation in place. But I mean, it kind of gives people a little bit of something to stand on to sort of fight these battles. Because I know like projects like Polkadot have gone down the route of saying that they're a software, not an asset, which is pretty clever if it works. But, you know, it's stories like, you know, Ripple not being classed as security that, you know, it just sort of bolsters the, I guess, sentiment in the space. And Tommy jokes as well. He, he sort of sums it up quite nicely. It's like Ripple had the best news it's been waiting for in however many years. And it's like in the middle of a bear market and the market did nothing. <laughs> so if you're like a staff member at the XRP or Ripple Labs, you'd be a bit gutted. Just all that work, just to yeah. see no no sort of commitment from the market. But um, like it is what it is. But I think that's the standout for me for this year. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, mine probably, you know, only happened a couple of weeks ago, but Binance Settlement with the Department of Justice. Maybe a bit of recency bias involved there, but I just think things were starting to look a lot better as the year went on. The only, you know, remaining thing that could have been a big risk to the market in the industry was that Binance uh, investigation. Was it going to turn out like FTX? Some people were speculating and people were going to find, you know, a bunch of dirty laundry behind the scenes that could really cause a bit of a blood bath in the market, similar to what we saw with FTX. That wasn't the case, fortunately. So they, they did breach like anti-money laundering laws and things like that. And, and CZ, the, the founder and CEO, he stepped down and had to pay a pretty big fine. But I think overall, the fact that we got through a pretty unscathed, apart from, you know, Binance leaving the US, so, you know, a bit of an inconvenience for Binance US customers and things like that. The fact that, you know, there wasn't much of a reaction there just means we've got a bit of runway leading into this next cycle and, mm. and don't have to worry about things like, you know, centralized exchanges going bust and doing dodgy things Hopefully. behind uh, closed doors. Hopefully that's the last <laughs> yeah. of it. 
Yeah, um, obviously, no guarantees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, great call, Ted. I think uh, their trust and credibility over the last 24 months, that's the thing that's hurt our industry so much, yeah. you know, for outsiders looking in. The only thing that made mainstream media news over the last two years was the fraud and the scams and the capitulation, like nothing of the good stuff. So hopefully we can build upon that. And a couple of other sort of honorable mentions I wanted to mention just from an institutional space, which kind of goes a little bit unnoticed, but there's been so many financial institutions launching or offering crypto or tokenization services this year. So mm. to just to name a couple, uh, Visa continue their stablecoin settlement pilots on Ethereum and Solana. You know, PayPal launching their stablecoin, as you mentioned at the start, Ted, like that's huge. You know, mm. even PayPal was at the old CryptoCon a few weeks ago. Like that's, that's, not, that's yeah. unheard yeah. of. NAB as well, early in early in 2024, uh, they're launching an institutional custody service. This is NAB Bank here in Australia partnered um, with an institutional custody service, Zodia, to help them with cross-border stable coins. So that's a big one that they announced recently. And then even another Aussie bank, ANZ, started testing on Chainlink uh, cross-train interoperability. So that's just out of Australia. And then you've got you know, leading German banks like Deutsche Bank, DZ Bank, and Commerce Bank were granted crypto licenses and custody services. So I think we're going to just start to see more and more banks start to warm up to the idea, figure out how to do this properly, figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't ruin their reputation. They're not going to get scammed. They do it properly. And that's just going to bring on, you know, the Walls Advisors. It's going to bring on the superannuation funds. It's just going to make it easier. Everyone's waiting for those trusted yeah. entities to really land in this space. And I think once that happens, no one ever wants to be first, but no one wants to be last. So it's just going to, yeah. you know, get that consent uh, that, yeah, that continuation. Yeah. Good shout. Ben, I'm keen to get your thoughts. Obviously, at Collective Shift, you guys and, and the research team there do a lot of this stuff where you're looking forward and trying to pick trends and understand where the market's going. So you're probably best placed to answer these sorts of things. What do you think the uh, the trends will be? Like what narratives are going to play out? Any uh, key thoughts to start us off? Yeah, it's interesting. Like we, we were pretty on the money in the last cycle. So where I made the most of my money was uh, in the last cycle was in the metaverse before the metaverse was really things. So this was, you know, Early to mid 2018, you know, a lot of these metaverse projects were 10, 20, 30 mil market caps. And then if we rewind to, to those days when Facebook renamed to Meta and everything just absolutely exploded from there, it was just game on. Like there was a lot of money to be made there. We don't believe that what we can see right now, there's going to be those, like that sector that's not really there right now that no one really knows is going to come out of nowhere and, and, and explode. I think it's more around getting into underappreciated sectors. So, you know, one for me would be that the DeFi space. We think there's going to be a pretty big reversal in the in the market in the next 12, 24 months. You know, if we look at um, you know some of the the decks, uh, the, so the decentralized exchanges to uh, centralized exchanges trade volumes, like it's really decreased over the last little while. So I think that's going to start to re reverse. Um, even if you look at some of the things like Uniswap and you know some different things as people move away from the centralized exchanges back to some of the decentralized ones, I think that's going to be pretty big. As Ethereum goes for the upgrade next year, I think that's just going to be a good sort of tailwind. So yeah, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Maple, but there's a few others in the space I think it's going to come back. The biggest headwind though for DeFi is still regulation. That's still like one that we've got to be aware of. So that's definitely one for me. There's a couple other sectors that we uh, like as well. I think crypto gaming is going to be big. Out of the $7.2 billion of capital raised in the last uh, year or two, 60% of that's gone into Web3 with another $2 billion added this year. So there's a heap of money going to the Web3 gaming space. A lot of those games haven't really launched yet, mm -hmm. but it's not only those crypto native gaming platforms that are coming in the space. There's also traditional studios that are developing games. So players like Ubisoft that built Assassin's Creed, Zynga who, who built Farmville, uh, Square Enix that built Final Fantasy. 
you know, they're starting to build their own native mobile games, uh, crypto gaming experiences, and also building, you know, Web3 developer blockchain ecosystems as well to build. So, yeah, the gaming space is going to be big. The biggest problem I see in gaming is actually picking the right horse. It's like backing in the Melbourne Cup, but there's 300 horses, not 24. (laughs) true, isn't it? Um, So... From an investment standpoint, we actually put out a research piece recently on like how to get exposure to the gaming sector. Because I think, I mean, if you can pick the token, hats off. I think you're going to be you're going to be well, you know, well profited from that. But I think it's going to be very difficult to pick the right token. So even looking at either indexes or or backing the blockchain. So for example, like like IMAX uh, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, getting getting in on the blockchain itself, even the technology um, that's building those games. So like going even a layer deeper, you know, looking at like the actual hardware. So we've done a little bit on that. But yeah, I think gaming and DeFi for me is going to be big in, in the next couple of years. Gaming and DeFi, love it. Yeah, I think we've spoken about it a fair bit before. Like gaming, we see it as a big trend. Um, yeah. You know, it seems like it's got the best use case, right? Like if you yeah. could... Make you make something in an in-game, like an in-game item, and go to a free marketplace and sell it for yeah. whatever the market says it's worth. Like, who yeah. doesn't want that, right? Like, yeah. who wouldn't want to use that? We all kind of use it in some way. If you've done online gaming, like played something in the past, there's always yeah. a marketplace. So imagine a marketplace, but between games and between different yeah genres. Like, I think that'd be absolutely and kind of yeah. what what you were saying as well. Like, it's so hard to pick individual games because they all look great, you know, when they put their trailers out, but you don't know, you know. Unless you're actually playing them on a daily basis and understanding the mechanics of the game, it's hard to pick because yeah. there's a lot of them. Right. So I think we we tend to focus more on the gaming infrastructure within crypto. So yeah, like you were saying, Ben, um, Immutable, I think Beam, Beam. Um, has parted with Immutable. Yeah. They're two of the bigger plays there. In terms of individual games, that we always talk about Illuvium, right? That seems to be the one that everyone's got their eye on, but could be it, the number one coming next year, right? Like I who mean, knows what pops up? Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's a bit of disappointment that, that it hasn't launched yet. Yeah. Obviously, with a big game like that where you want it to be, you know, you want look to look awesome and you want it to function great, it's gonna take time. So mm-hmm. understandably, but I'm just hoping twenty twenty four is our year for Illuvium. Yep. And finally we can get to get our hands on that game. Yeah, I mean I've got nothing really more to add, honestly. Like uh it is gaming for me for no other reasons than you guys have already stated. Um I think real world assets is something that's probably still a bit away from actually making material impact. Um I think a lot of that comes down to the regulation falling into place. So that could yep. be a watch this space. But I hope there's significant advancement in this next year, probably from some great players overseas, like likely gonna be like your Onyx blockchain over at BlackRock or something like that, like really paving the way of changing the way they do business and then that kind of sets up the next sort of steam train which could be real world asset tokenization so i think that'd be pretty cool uh, but yeah gamefi for me okay yeah. so yeah. have honda we've got real world assets and gamefi ben simpson we've got DeFi and web3 gaming or gamefi so what's the space i get that i get yeah. that Very easy. i think another one is important to remember like simple narratives well not necessarily simple but narratives that people will buy into and i think that's like a why. dog with a hat <laughs> yeah. yeah like a frog then like frog. Frog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's where like the retail money sort of come in and i think over the next 12 or 18 months there's going to be some good altcoin opportunities to jump on some of those narratives as they start to take off you know there's a few that we're looking at in that space where it's ex- trying to get some of that exposure to sectors that are really yet to capture the spotlight easier said than done just with so many projects but yeah, yeah. i think if you can Get a little bit of exposure to those those sectors really before the retail come. You're gonna you're gonna be in a good position. Yeah, that's it. Diversification, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, yeah. Next, we wanted to kind of touch on what our 
you know, biggest wins and losses were for the year. Um, we've spoken about some of the bigger narratives in the space, but now we want to get personal and we want to find out how much money you made. <laughs> we want to find out what, what worked for you, what didn't work for you and what were your learnings from it. So Ben, let's start with you, mate. Yeah, so my biggest win this year was Maple. Um, it's been a bit of a theme of this podcast, actually. But yeah, I, I posted that. So one of the things we do over Collective Shift is, is basically share what we're doing with our portfolios from our analysts. So I put out back in July that had a pretty big position in Maple. I, I'm not sure what the market cap was at the time. I think it was like $5.50, the token price, and then hit about $22 in the last few weeks. It's had a nice little correction at the moment, but that was my biggest win. I went a little bit earlier than what I what I used to in terms of buying altcoins. So during bear markets, I don't hold any altcoins just because BTC and ETH tends to outperform you know, pretty much 99% of the market in bear markets. So I was being pretty patient for two years, then had a pretty heavy position in Maple, went down to probably $4. So I, I sort of maybe was was holding maybe a 10, 15% you know, loss at, the, at that time. And then you know, after about two or three months, it's really started to rip. So I think you know, having patience is one of the biggest lessons I've learned in crypto. If you if you're holding onto an old coin, don't get you know too impatient. Um, even if you're you know underperforming against other alts in a period of time, different sectors have their runs. And if you start to go chasing, it's where you can really hurt yourself because your coin has a move. So then you go chase the other old coin, and that has a pullback. And then the one that you're in has a run, and now you're just in this loop of forever chasing. And I see so many people overdo this and we speak to our members all the time about just staying patient having convictions that stick with the plan because if you get too emotional you can sort of get yourself in a rut so that was my biggest win my biggest loss was just missing all the airdrops that were just right in front of me and we covered like four of the major ones we literally have an airdrop section in the collective shift platform that has ratings and an action list like our team have done an action list. We couldn't make it any more simple and I just never got to it. So the GTO airdrop, that was minimum 20,000 Australian dollars, like minimum you got no matter Jesus. what you did. So 20K for GTO, Arbitrum, Cell, like Celestia, as you were talking about before, Ted, that did 500% on launch and then Blur, like literally they were all star ratings in our platform, action items, and I just completely like just dropped the ball on all of them. So... <laughs> Lucky our members made a bit of money, but I certainly didn't. So that was a loss. That went more. Jeez. It drops some of those funny ones, but just to add to that, like it is kind of at the tailwind of like when the markets are running, they start to come in. It's really hard to time. It'll yeah. be another round. Yeah. I know for me, um, my biggest win was Solana. Probably got on about 12 bucks at the start of the year. I know Pav was a... um was a big one for i can thank him for that one um pav was always was right. financial advice but no it wasn't, it wasn't. we would never <laughs> pav, pav always kind of backed it even though like the sentiment around it was just disastrous and pav seems to you know take things and and views them in a different kind of way um which is really refreshing so i had a listen and yeah i, I got on solana pretty early and uh it's now sitting about 76 dollars so I'm not really sure what that is. Maybe 6x from there. I think heading into this bull market, it's going to do pretty big things, mm -hmm. particularly around like the sentiment at the moment. You've got the phone coming out and, you know, flying off the shelves and things like that. It's got the bonk airdrop. It's got it. the bonk airdrop. It's taken market share away from Ethereum. So there is that narrative for Solana there. Um, so that was probably my biggest win. Biggest loss. I don't know if I had any major losses there. I was kind of, I was pretty sensible with my trading, similar to you, Ben, just sort of dollar cost averaging into BTC and ETH. Took a bit of a punt on Matic. I wouldn't really call it a punt, but, you know, made an investment in Matic at the start of the year and expecting some kind of above market returns on that one. Given the state around like the partnerships and the sentiment around it, pretty strong, like very strong 2022. I think yeah, they got gonna, a rebrand coming. I think that'll be big. 
Yeah, but okay. like this this year it didn't really do much. I think yeah. it, it's you know it's probably stayed where I bought it. Yeah. Um, so not really a loss, but in my mind a, a bit of a disappointing investment. But hey, you can't win them all. Can't can win you? them all. Uh, um, yeah, for me the biggest win definitely is Solana. But I I would say like the biggest win technically has just been trading through October and November. Uh, that's probably been the biggest moves that have come in the recent time. And just when the you know, when the sun's shining, you gotta you gotta make hay. So like that was um some pretty good days. Biggest losses was probably I'd say middle of this year. Um, I sort of thought there was a bit of a shift towards the poo coins, if we'll call it that. Yeah. Um, there was like that Sonic Obama Inu twenty. Like I started seeing stuff like that. I'm like, all right, cool. There well, might DJ be have <laughs> yeah. There might be some more of these that just start popping. So oh, I put God. like a percentage. I was happy to say goodbye to um into some of those ultra micro low caps. I'll call them and yeah, to no avail. Like I just was um not 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 having any luck fishing on those. They're the hardest things to catch to begin with, and the trends don't last very long. So yeah. I wasn't surprised at all, but I would say that was just, you know, giving back a little bit, but I'm happy I had a crack, I guess. Here he is on the podcast saying, you know, stick to the majors. No, you don't, don't get emotional, and, and he's out there investing nah. in Sonic, Obama, Inu. No, I didn't. Shit. I missed that, but I'm saying the fact that that happened. I right. got, oh, I, right, I got right, in right, on, like, right. Pepe John's, like, you know, when the, the Bitcoin pizza day was happening? yeah. <laughs> There was a Pepe John's and I was like, ah, well, we won't go there. But um, it sounded like it made sense in my head at the time. Yeah. I, I will say DJing in a bull market is way more fun than DJing yeah. in a bear market because like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. bear market's like going to the casino and you just literally can't win at all. Like there's just no way. You, can yeah. you just hand like, your money and you get no yeah, chips yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they'll uh, sign a good things to come hopefully next year. But um, yeah, I, just, I was just a bit too early on the mark, I would say. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. Pav, Ben, appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, we get a few more listeners from the uh, the Ben and Berg's podcast and, yeah. well, and vice versa. Vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I like the uh, the little collaboration podcast we got going on. I think we we, we could be onto something there. A few so. more episodes and I think we're slinging banter at each other a bit more freely. So. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm, com- I'm way more comfortable talking shit about Pav. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, same with you know, uh, you guys remind me of you know our, our podcast a bit of bit of shit sling that doesn't yeah. go astray. Yeah. You need that. You need that. And you we do. You do. The listeners love it. Yeah. Cool. If they don't. We do. So it's fine. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, and uh, we'll chat to you in a week's time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 